Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This segment is sponsored by Chicago Golf Show. This is not the appropriate time to talk. We're not going to give out it, you know, why couldn't Jerry have yeah, answer they, that question? They immediately <laughs> hustled him out of there. That was, uh, that was interesting. <laughs> His people quickly squirreled him away. Kind of felt political, like stuff we've seen over this past year. James DeVoe is the managing digital editor for NBC Chicago. He's on Twitter at James DeVoe, and he is with us now on the Score Hotline. Presented by Circa Resort and Casino, CircaLasVegas.com, Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670. The Score James, what's happening? You know, just the usual uh, politics and sports kind of meshing and people asking for billions of dollars. You know, pretty standard stuff in the grand scheme of things, I suppose. It's true. So we wanted to get your perspective on it because you're someone that is is big into digging into the details. Mm -hmm. What strikes you about this ask from the White Sox and how you think the city and state might respond to it? I'm glad you mentioned the city and state response to it, because I think that ultimately that's kind of the big variable that's way different this time. Right. Like when the White Sox last asked for a stadium, you had Jim Thompson literally pausing the clock in Springfield to make sure that that deal got across the finish line. And the state really wanted to make that happen. When you had the Bears asking for public financing for their stadium project, you had a city council that was in lockstep behind Richard Daly basically bulldozed every sort of conceivable roadblock to make that happen. This time around, you have a way different political climate because you have Governor J.B. Pritzker, a Democrat who's been very focused on fiscal responsibility and having a balanced budget. The last five budgets he's proposed have been balanced. You also have a city council that is certainly not in lockstep behind Mayor Brandon Johnson. And so it's going to be a lot harder to get any sort of legislation through there. And you would need both of those components in order to make this project work. And so I think the big thing that really stands out that's different this time from previous instances is the sheer differences in the political environment facing him in both Springfield and in Chicago. 
It's a great point about, you know, not just the, the, there's no Madigan, there's no Daly, there's no Jim Thompson. And it wasn't just literally turning the clock to get themselves an extra 11th hour. It was on that literally strong arming yeah, people. Right. When people think about, they hear the term buttonholing is grabbing somebody by the lapels and shouting in their face. If you've ever met Jim Thompson, he, he was a he was a giant man. Huge, That's why they yeah. called him Big, Big Jim Big Thompson. Jim, Big yeah. Jim, and he was grabbing people like this. This was exactly what you would think of sharp elbow back room dealings. It wasn't metaphorical. That happened. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, and I think that that style of politics. You know, we we love to watch the old grainy movies with all the cigarette smoke kind of floating in the air and guys like, you know, meeting in back hallways and arguing about things like some of that stuff still happens. But like you said, there's not that level of intimidation. And frankly, nobody's really intimidated by Brandon Johnson. He doesn't have kind of the, you know, the caucus behind him. That's like, Hey, look at all this heft I have with the city council. He has to kind of fight and scramble for a lot of things. And I think JB Pritzker has, you know, a super majority in both houses of the Illinois uh, General Assembly. But at the same time, that's not generally how he operates. I think, again, I've mentioned it's just like the fiscal responsibility aspect of all of it. And that's been a very consistent theme of his. And even with uh, things like migrant funding in Chicago, he's been like very cognizant of how to raise funds for that without impact in the general fund. And I mean, we have a rainy day fund in Illinois now, like it's just a completely different thing where Pritzker's not using those types of like iron-handed tactics. He's definitely more of the velvet gloves type, but he also has a very specific political agenda that he's trying to achieve. James, how is this and the Bears' pursuit connected, and how is it not connected? Well, I mean, of course, for the White Sox, the issue is, is going to be not building, just building a new stadium. You have to do all of the different things with that as well. There's parts of the project that will require rerouting metro lines you'll have a new cta stop in all likelihood for this type of project all of that stuff is going to require city of chicago funding to the tune of quite possibly 500 million dollars in funding for different tiff districts and things like that so you're going to have that component of it for the white Sox. you'll also then have the big complex around it to the hotels the shops everything else not only is that going to require a lot of money to get done it's also going to require a lot of uh, sign-offs on different things like property tax waivers funneling sales tax money to the white Sox. this is a big scale project and so you not only have this issue where their lease is up a lot sooner than the bears is but it's going to be a lot bigger of a project as for the bears where they're looking right now to build a stadium, but they really want to build it in that South parking lot. Their main factors are going to be not only coming up with that funding for the stadium, they also have all of the bonds that they still have to retire on the original soldier field renovation. And there's that group, the friends of the parks, they thwarted George Lucas. They're probably not going to be too jazzed about construction that close to the lake either. And so you get, you're going to have different obstacles I think the scale of the White Sox project is kind of what sets it apart. Whereas with the Bears, it's really the matter of fighting with friends with the, of the parks and getting that additional funding with all of that bond issue still left to be retired. What do you know about related Midwest? Uh, that they've been trying to develop the 78 for a really long time, and they obviously have some very rosy projections on what this is going to do for the area in the south loop right i'm sure you guys have spoken about the glowing oh this is going to generate four billion dollars in economic impact and it sounds like a really big uh, outrageous number 
until you realize how nebulous a concept, you know, economic impact is because you have all of these kind of assumptions baked into it. And I think that the big thing for them and the big thing for everybody to remember is that anything related Midwest says about the economic impact of this stadium not only kind of flies in the face of what we've seen from real world examples in other cities, but it's also all designed to get their project developed. And I think that's something a lot of people are going to have to keep in mind. Who is related Midwest? Like where, what, what's their history? What's their, what, what else have they owned and developed? That's a great question. This is a, like I said, they're a group that's really been like trying to uh, develop real estate in quite a few places. They have a lot of different development projects, especially in New York. They have the Hudson Yards project in New York that they've kind of been in charge of. They've had similar developments in Boston and Los Angeles. I mean, this is a group that has a lot of hands in a lot of different places. And the 78 is a project that they've really kind of been looking to develop a very specific parcel of land in the South Loop. If you've ever driven past it, it's basically, you know, a stretch of nothing right now. Like it's just kind of this blank canvas. They've kind of sold it as an area that could potentially be a neighborhood, like a really neighborhood revitalizing type of project. And they've just been going at it a lot of different ways and haven't really come up with a solution. And then you have this, which is seemingly like this perfect marriage of a team looking for a new home. And they're also looking to build a new neighborhood. And so related Midwest is, you know, this is their gold mine to them. This is exactly what it is they've kind of been hoping for. And so they've had success with other projects. And now this one has kind of bedeviled them just getting that development underway. But this really does seem like kind of the ideal fit for what they ultimately want to do in Chicago. James, as someone who who covers politics, writes about it, speaks about it, I I would love to get your opinion on this. It's felt like this has gone at warp speed. Mm-hmm. Since, since we heard that the White Sox and, and related Midwest are involved, it went from like an idea to, oh, the, wait a minute, like Jerry's going down to Springfield to ask for this money. That, I, as a lifelong Chicagoan, that type of speed on something of this scale scares me. Is there anything that you've seen or heard that might allow me to be less anxious about this and the speed with which this has gone forward? I'm not qualified to alleviate anxiety, Lawrence. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> but what I what I will say is that I think a big part of the reason it's kind of a it's a threefold thing, right? First of all, it's Jerry Reinsdorf admitting in that Forbes interview that I'm sure a lot or that uh, Crane's Chicago business interview that a lot, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have read. He's 88 years old. He's not getting any younger. He knows that eventually there is going to come a time where there will be a decision on what to do with the future of the Chicago White Sox. You've got the lease expiring when it does in 2028. And so he wants to kind of get the ball rolling on this project. But I think the thing that kind of is getting overlooked maybe a little bit is how many other teams are currently looking for public financing for stadiums. You have the Royals who are trying to institute a new sales tax in Kansas City to get their new ballpark built. You've got the Arizona Diamondbacks who are potentially threatening to leave if they don't get $500 million to renovate Chase Field. You've got the Tampa Bay Rays who are trying to build a $1.3 billion stadium. So you not only have all of these teams kind of angling for public financing while also dangling the threat of potentially moving, you also have Major League Baseball saber-rattling about potentially adding teams and pulling in $2.2 billion in estimated uh, expansion fees. I mean, these are not insignificant amounts of money. And so what I think Jerry Reinsdorf is trying to do is he's recognizing he doesn't want to be in line for these new projects, right? Like he doesn't want to be in a line of teams that are trying to get into Nashville. 
He wants to jump that line and to try to put potential pressure on the legislature and on the city council to get this done. And so when I see the speed with which this project is progressing, I think Jerry Reinsdorf is just recognizing that, hey, there's going to be a lot of other teams that are going to be kind of clamoring for this stuff. I need to make sure that we have a concrete plan in place and that we can jump ahead of some of these teams. Meanwhile, where is the Lincoln Yards project after everything we went through and and Tom Ricketts's involvement with the stadium and thinking there might be a soccer team or a Live Nation venue and then through a, a series of lawsuits and nothing's getting built? Like, what's the object lesson right in front of our eyes in Lincoln Park? I think the lesson is that if you try to use a uh, sports team as kind of a cornerstone for one of these developments, you pretty much want to make sure that you've got your ducks in the row before you start breaking ground on anything. I think the idea of having a USL soccer team is kind of the foundational linchpin of this was very important. You also, of course, had the COVID pandemic, which had a lot of impacts on a lot of developments. I mean, it's even still having an impact for the White Sox because their hotel bonds are not being retired as quickly because they're not collecting the tourism dollars that they thought they were going to collect because of the COVID pandemic. And so I think the two lessons there, again, this is a reason why you kind of have to strike while the iron's hot and make sure that you've got a really buttoned up plan for anything. But And you also have to kind of guard against some of that kind of, you know, unexpected type of things like a reversal in the economy caused by a pandemic or even just a straight up recession. You brought up the idea of, of Jerry Reinsdorf jumping the line as far as Nashville goes. Do you see any scenario where a Jerry Reinsdorf owned White Sox could find themselves in Nashville? I think that the hints that he dropped in the Cranes interview was that it wouldn't be him that would be doing it, right? Like, I think that ultimately the action would be to sell the team to another uh, owner, and that owner would then potentially move to a place like Nashville, a city that Jerry Reinsdorf has had conversations with. But Lawrence, I think one thing that we do have to kind of keep in mind specifically about the Nashville threat is that they just issued a bunch of new bonds for a new stadium for the Tennessee Titans, and they're leadership in that city has been kind of anti more bond issue for other things. And so you have to wonder if an owner buys the White Sox, if that ends up happening and they end up saying, oh, we want to target Nashville. Is there going to be the appetite for the public money to make that project happen? And I cannot definitively say that, yes, it would. We saw what happened with Las Vegas in the Oakland days. You saw how the Raiders came into Las Vegas. They got a bunch of public subsidies for their stadium. They insist that it's all working out really well for the taxpayers of Las Vegas. And yet when the A's want to build a stadium on the Strip, it's kind of a non-starter, right? Like they're very anti this project and it's running into a lot of roadblocks. I think it, it, it goes without saying that the White Sox are going to need to figure out the stadium situation. I don't think Reinsdorf is necessarily wrong in saying that if they sell the White Sox without a new stadium, that they would be at risk of moving. But I also think that it's very clearly a leverage play. And if you look at the playbook to get public financing for anything, that's basically on page two, right after, hey, ask for the money in the first place. <laughs> We're talking with James Naveau here on the Bernstein and Holmes Show, the managing digital editor for NBC Chicago. I like to keep things simple, and I, I, I like to stay focused on what I things that I know to be true with all of these moving parts. And every time I have seen any anything that purports to measure the size and scope of sports fandom, mm. it's always amazing to me how few Sox fans there are. Whether it's 
zip code maps or Facebook or any of these sort of blunt tools that are used, I know there's no way to actually get a survey on the size of a fandom that is perfect. But mm-hmm. are there enough White Sox fans are just in general? To justify like to just, I mean, I know they've been around and they have had success and there are some people who will come out. But as far as major league fandoms, are there enough people who care enough? I, I honestly question whether there are. Um, I think that that's something that I have to be very careful of. I am a, uh, I host a Cubs podcast for NBC Sports Chicago. Mm-hmm. I always tread very carefully in the fandom question. But to your point, Dan, I definitely think that part of the allure of this project and what Jerry thinks would happen if they do get it is that it not only would attract White Sox fans, it would also draw more casual sports fans or just casual uh, residents in general looking to kind of spend their discretionary income. And At I think those that's prices? Where... You, you, you can't just wander by and, and get a $5 bleacher ticket. That's not... That's that's not how it works. It's not. It, I mean, in, maybe in the old days of the old knothole gang, mm-hmm. but I mean, people have well, people plan for weeks in advance or months in advance to take their families to these games. It, it never it's never stopped other teams from raising ticket prices. I mean, you see what the Cubs did. You see that the Blackhawks and the Bears have raised ticket prices despite not getting into the playoffs. I mean, that never is going to stop an owner. But I think that that also it raises great questions, Dan, about some of these things that we see about economic impact, right? Because it assumes that consumers are going to have these basically magical new dollars to spend rather than having a defined set of funds that they have to spend and deciding to spend it on a White Sox game over going to a bowling alley or going out to a nice dinner or whatever it is. And so I think that there has to be that desire to attract more casual fans. And that's where you kind of get the hotels the shops, the restaurants, all of those things that would be around this South Loop development. And so I think to your original question, it's definitely worthy question of whether or not there are enough White Sox fans to sustain this. But I think ultimately the point is to draw in more casual fans and more tourists. And that's where the neighborhood kind of comes into it because they've seen what the Cubs have done and they want to try to replicate that in the South Loop. What do you believe is real when it comes to the Bears, Arlington Heights in the city? The fact that the Bears are sitting on a piece of property that they now have no idea what to do with. I mean, that's definitely thing number one. And I I know the Bears could potentially parcel it out, but I assure you that property is valued for a football stadium. It is not it's not, you know, valued for business, for warehouses, whatever it would be if the Bears end up having to sell it. I get the sense that the Bears are still trying their best to try to determine whether or not they can move forward with that Arlington Heights project. I mean, they've said they would privately finance the stadium itself. It's all the kind of stuff around it, like the transit to get there, the roads, all of that, that they would want state or village help with. And I think that that's kind of been a a consistent stumbling block. They haven't quite gotten the response that they thought they were going to get when they purchased that parcel of land. But then, like I said, when you go back to the Chicago site, I think the project that Lori Lightfoot had kind of proposed of just putting a roof over the existing soldier field, I got the sense that was kind of a last ditch Hail Mary. That was never something that I thought was, you know, really feasible. And I think that was why it was so quickly kind of discarded. I still think ultimately the most likely end for the Bears is going to be purchasing or building rather a stadium on that site on the South parking lot, wherever they want to position it. 
It's just going to be a matter of the political capital they're going to have to expend. And obviously, the cost is going to be a very big part of it, especially with the bonds they still need to retire on Soldier Field. Navel, this was great, man. We really appreciate your time and your breakdown of this. Terrific stuff, as always. Continue doing great work, and, and thanks for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you guys so much for having me on. That is James Navo. Want to talk some basketball? Sure, because I saw something last night that you've been talking about when it, as it pertains to this Bulls team. And again, I like to keep things simple, and some shots are worth more than others. Yep, especially when they're going in at 50%. Mm. Explain it again with those nuggies. Well, we'll do that next here on The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. In Odyssey Station. So Boston's just going to... Dribble it over the midcourt line and call it a night. They're going to spend the night in Chicago and depart for New York City tomorrow and take on the Knicks Saturday night on a nationally televised game. 129-112, Boston ball game over. Yeah, here's the deal. When anytime they were interested, they just hit threes and block shots and, and turned you over. And they would get interested and then oh okay let's that's enough let's just try now and then we're good that's the team if everything went to plan and the competitive bulls win the play-in they win the play-in and make the playoffs as the eight seed good luck with that that's the if, if they become the eight seed and i know there's like with the seven seed and the eight seed, but if they get in that they could face that team I don't see them making it to seven. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see them being in a position to be the seventh seed out of the play-in. They'll be the nine or the ten seed. And they've got a a nice hefty lead on Atlanta for nine. Because it's two and a hook. Because you've beaten them. So, 
All I know is last night I'm watching them play, and you're right. It seemed like whenever Boston was like, oh, let's uh, take care of business, they did. They went on that barrage of three-point shots, which we'll get back to in a second. I thought the most telling thing last night, in a night where overall Vooch had a good night, him being blocked by a point guard in the paint is ridiculous. A center. But that when you're a below-the-rim center, that can happen to you. It shouldn't happen when the guy guarding you is 6'4 and you're 6'11. That should not happen. The numbers that jump out at me here, what do you think the total difference in scoring was on three-pointers alone? Ooh, I mean, they hit 50% of their threes. What do you think the actual scoring difference just behind the arc in this game? 60 to 21. 69 to 30. Not bad. You're right on it. Oh, oh. Nice. 69 to 30. That's just three-pointers. That's it. And they blocked 11 shots. Three-pointers and rim protection. And even when the Bulls are grinding away in that second quarter and they're grinding away and Kobe hits the three and everybody's excited, all they do is they roll out in the third like, oh, okay, three-pointer, three-pointer. And man, and, and then Al Horford sets, still sets these beautiful drag screens. Really gorgeous basketball that they were playing. In the secondary break, you've got guys looking for Horford where he doesn't even really, some of it's brush blocking where he doesn't even really set the screen. It's not quite a pick, but they find him and they use him and he's kind of in the way and it's all in rhythm. They know exactly who they're looking for and and they're leading the NBA in three-pointers made because that's what they do. And then they come down at the other end and they challenge stuff at the rim. Everything. This is all the stuff that you've been talking about when you look at the Bulls in the macro. You say, well, what are you? Like, what's your identity? Your identity can be, well, we're the team that plays tough, and we're the team that, that that's going to make you earn it. Well, if you're not able to counterbalance a team shooting threes with either making your own threes or playing good three-point defense, you're drawing dead. Yeah, you're like, out-toughing a team that isn't interested in engaging you in a toughness battle. They don't want to play that game with you. They don't have they're, to. They're totally fine with, you can be as tough as you want. We're going to come down and make these threes. After timeout, we're setting something up to make these threes. Oh, and we have two guys. We have two dudes on the team. We're not searching for who, who a dude is. We got two of them, and the one guy who has the chance to be, like, the face of the NBA, he pretty much was like, bleep your couch. Watch this. <laughs> and they had no response, like, no answer for it. And it just lets you know what, what the Bulls are facing, like, what they're looking at when you're trying to determine getting to the top of just the conference. You're dealing with teams that are better put together than you are. If, if you're Arturis, I guess there is some hope in that there's still some volatility in, in, in two and three in the Eastern Conference. And if you could make your way to the seventh seed, you could make an argument for them beating Cleveland. It'd be a bad one, but 
you could at least make it. The, obviously, Milwaukee is in all sorts of bad shape right now. I Have you seen the memes about Doc? How everyone is putting Doc, like Doc warned the Avengers about Thanos, and then he goes on and does his little thing where he bust tosses Doctor Strange and everything else. That's the only hope that the Bulls have is can we be good enough to make an argument to beat a team that's not playing well? It's not, it's never the Bulls are good. It's always can we squint and turn our heads sideways and look at them versus an opponent and come up with a plausible path for them to win a game or a series or a game in a series. Start with game before you jump to series. It's just people love the romance of a play through Vooch and look how hard they work. And DeMar puts him in the blender and gets him with the eyebrow fake. They work so hard for points mm-hmm. you don't have to and these other teams like this identity is where we're a tough out and well, you, know, no, you always know you've competed against but, let's let's not disparage working hard for points working hard for points is fine but you should work harder for the points that are worth more or don't work hard for them and just run down the floor and shoot it but that's what I mean. Like, what what you want is better players who understand that value and more of them. There are too many guys on this team whose games are either not built for competitive basketball in 2024 or they're just not good. There's just... I, I, I feel like... I, and, we have, and we have to give these types of governors on these conversations i love demar i love demar Derozan. everyone does who doesn't love demar Derozan? but his game especially at this point in his career has limitations and he spent a lot of time last night complaining about foul calls and having officials explain to him you were not fouled your shot got blocked that wasn't a foul but the point is, what are you doing down there when the points are out here? But you're over there. And that's where the blocks are. And yes, he's still top 10 in getting to the line. And that's great. There are times when you really need that. But if you're trying to be a great team, a competitive team, this group is really good. In 2024, you have to be better at either making threes or defending them. I'll take one. I'll take one for right now. I think they're going to re-sign him, too. I think they have no choice. They, they put themselves in this position. And it's all the stuff that Darnell raised in his mailbag. Is this really just so that people who come to games are entertained? Because, look, if you went to last night's game, you were hella entertained by what Boston was doing. And yes, the Bulls had like a spasm of them playing really well at the end of the second quarter. And then the third quarter happened. And Boston was like, that's enough of that. How about we just knock down some of these threes 
and then you guys are going to come down and miss twos, and then we're going to go back down and make threes, and you're going to come down and make a two, then we're going to go back down and make a three, then you're going to come down and miss a three, and, and then, then we're going to come back down and make a three, and then you're down 25 points. And then we're lobbing to Luke Cornett. Right. Luke Cornett is out here looking like Big Shot Bob. Because we know that if you're looking for a comp for Luke Cornett, it's Robert Orr. That's right. That, that, that was given to us, but he was out there. He's coming out of the rafters on you. And it was multiple times. It wasn't just once. It was like yeah, four times. He, like he was dunking on your head. How, Luke em- Cornett. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. I like when Ray gets mad because he really does get mad about the Bulls. I do. Believe it or not, Jim Boylan said that he reminds him of Robert Ory. What? What? They've had some fun with that, too, because now that's part of It's part, part of, of lore. Sure it is. Yeah. It's just you saw it play out. Like, I was just sitting there laughing, like, thinking about you because you literally saw it play out. Boston makes it three. Bulls miss a two. Boston makes a three. Bulls miss a three. Boston makes a three. Don't, for, don't, Bulls don't forget. Bulls make a two. Don't, don't forget. Bulls work really hard with the shot clock running down. So grindy. To get, to get a fall away two on the rim off the board and in. That game was the game that you're always describing. Yes. Yeah. DeMar. DeRoth. Three-point field goal. Jason Tatum. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're running back down. They're all excited. <laughs> Nikola, three-point field goal. Random dude. I'm not going to be able to get the visual of Derek White blocking Vooch out of my mind. Clean, too. It was so clean. It was clean. And it wasn't bad positioning by Vooch. He had the matchup that you want. That's the, the proverbial mouse in the house. You've got him. Back to the rim. You're on the low block. And you turned, and he was like, hi. Hi. What are you doing down here? Blocking your shot. And it's not, you do see that sometimes if a big brings the ball down. And on that, no, this on the was, power dribble. at the apex, fella. <laughs> I, I know. Because you can get a, you can be credited with a block. If someone is starting his shot and it gets to a certain point and you knock it away. It's in between steal and block, and there's a little bit of a judgment call there. That was a block block. Yes. That was a big man block. That's what, like, Clint Capella, like, that, that's that's what that was. But it was from a guy who's 6'4". Well, when you're a below-the-rim big, you're a below-the-rim big. Make some threes then. Oh, wait a minute. Worst in the league. Hey, in his defense, I would be blocked by a 6'4 point guard. Yes. That's a great defense. That, I, I'm not quite sure the logic holds up. It's fine. It does. I would also be blocked by a 6'4 NBA player. And how tall are you? 5'11-ish. That would track. Mm-hmm. When we but return. If, but if you were a whole foot taller, a whole foot taller, would you then be blocked? I'd like to think no. Of course not. High noon is next, and usually I I like to celebrate the triumph of exotic pets over their owners, but this one's a little strange. Okay, I have a story of Chicago citizens coming to save the day.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. Station, 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 Station. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there. Out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? One more high noon for the week. We began by discussing the ongoing story of the White Sox accelerated push to intercept a bunch of public money to build a stadium that they don't need or deserve. And we played about a four-minute explainer by a a brilliant economic mind, Robert Reich, who posted yesterday in response to the White Sox and Jerry Reinsdorf's ask, a very lucid, simple explanation of why public dollars into the pockets of billionaires for sports stadiums is very simply bad public policy. We brought back some of what Ron Coomer had to say this morning about the Christopher Morell experiment and the play of Miguel Amaya. We had a, a long and fruitful conversation with James Naveau about the stadium issues facing both the White Sox and the Bears. And then we talked about the Bulls' loss to the Celtics last night. It was a good team against a not-as-good team, and one team plays NBA ball the way you're supposed to, and the other team doesn't. It's Dan, this story is something out of an action movie, and it happened not far from here. This is from the Sun-Times accounting. Sophie Sherry is the writer on this story. Chiquita Martin and Marcella Lockett were driving on Lake Street on Tuesday night in Garfield Park when Martin spotted two feet dangling from the green line tracks above. At first, she couldn't believe her eyes, and they almost drove on. Fortunately, they did stop, and after hopping out of their pickup truck, they heard a woman screaming for help. Quote, We saw her slipping from the wire, Martine told the Sun-Times. So we pulled the truck and told her to jump in the back, and she let go. Close quote. The woman, 35, told Martine she jumped from the train in the 3100 block of West Lake Street because she missed her stop. I said, see, well... She, see, she jumped from the train? Yes, because she couldn't go one stop. Why don't you just go to the next stop and then, and then go back, back to your stop? That's what you should do. The story continues. I said, well, you have to get off at the next stop, Martine told the Sun-Times. Lockett called 911 but saw the woman's hands were slipping, and he worried that the crews wouldn't arrive quickly enough. At first, Lockett told the woman to jump into his arms, but Martine feared that would injure them both. The woman fell 15 to 20 feet into the bed of the truck, breaking her leg, but she remained responsive until an ambulance arrived, Martine said. The woman on the tracks told police that she'd been on the Green Line train heading into the city and missed her stop. She pulled the manual door release and fell onto the tracks, according to a police report. She's lucky she's not electrocuted. Correct. 
She was taken to Mount Sinai Hospital where she was listed in good condition. Firefighters were able to retrieve her cell phone from the tracks, but her bag remained trapped in a bundle of electrical wires. An employee at a nearby business did not witness her fall, but said she takes the green line to and from work and often sees people pulling the manual door release. What? Oh, I see that all the time, but not when you're already like past the platform. Right? That, that would be stupid. Stupid. Yes. Yeah. I see all the time people like, oh, the train's starting to pull away and they'll pull the manual release and the whole train has to stop and it's a big inconvenience. But, oh, you got off at your stop. Good for you. It's also a way that uh, people get robbed. Yes, it is. And so, all right, I got a quick question. What was the address for this again? You said 3100 West Lake. So it's right down the street? Well, not right down the street. It's about four miles down the street. Okay. You know how so you the stops take- aren't as close together as I was thinking then. But still, doesn't matter. Still, you don't yeah. get out Ke- of a moving train. Lake, yeah, no, basically. it's still dumb. Don't get me wrong. Kedzie and Lake. But the next stop is, pro- I don't, I don't know, but I'm guessing Central Park West or Pulaski. And then you get off, and then you go to the other side and get back on the train. Or you could walk, or you could get on a bus. Well, the next stop was probably California. It That's doesn't what, matter. <laughs> half a mile? <laughs> yes. No, it's past California. 3,100 yeah, let's, We should stop doing that. Stop pulling the manual door release and just know, get off your phone and know where your stop is. To go back to the story, it was pure luck that Martine spotted the woman. Martine and Lockett were driving around making deliveries for Skip Cart. An on-demand de- delivery service with Martine from the corner of her eye spotted the legs dangling. She said the traffic light had just changed at Kedzie and they were about to drive through. I said, babe, there's some kids up there playing on this damn train. I think they're stuck. And he said, no, there aren't. No, there ain't. <laughs> so we were sitting there arguing for like three minutes saying, is nobody up? Then I was like, you know what? Just turn right there. In Martine's head, she thought it had been a kid on the tracks because no adult would ever jump onto the tracks. She could not believe that they were able to rescue the woman. Shout out to these two. This is terrific that they had to save someone from their own stupid. But the fact that they did it, Chiquita Martine and Marcella Lockett, y'all are our heroes. Absolute heroes. Authorities in Colorado have confirmed the death of a 34-year-old local resident four days after he was bitten by one of his two pet Gila monsters. All right, that's worse than jumping off the train. The creatures are venomous reptiles native to the southwestern United States. Their bites are not normally fatal to humans. The last human death from a Gila monster bite is believed to have been in 1930. We back, baby. (laughs) That incident was not even a medical journal case, according to Dr. Nick Brandenhoff, a medical toxicologist and reptile expert, as he told CBS News Colorado. So the vast majority of bites cause local swelling and bleeding. Gila monsters are the largest lizards in the country. They can grow to about 22 inches. The creature that bit the man this month was a juvenile that measured about 12 inches long. And said, back that ass up. 
say it, man. That, that's something else had to be going on here because there's absolutely no way a juvenile Gila monster could inject enough venom to kill a human being. What on are, its own. What are you alleging, Dan? Reaction of some kind, some sort of anaphylaxis, something other than just the venom itself. Venom, like, venom, like a, venom, like venom. People who would die of a bee sting or something like King that. King Gizzard and the Wizard Wizard has a song called Gila Monster. Can you name the other? And I was doing the real, the worst song that Eminem's ever done. Can you name the other venomous lizard? The cousin of the Gila monster. A little different. The in Geico color. gecko. No. Oh. You no, know geckos aren't venomous. It would be that would be the Mexican beaded lizard. My God! Oh hell yeah, dog! Yeah, not the Mexican. Representing. Not the hell executioner. Yeah. That's the best one. <laughs> yeah, the Mexican beaded lizard is the other one, which some believe is just a Gila monster with a different coloration. That has gotten a different name, but either Don't way, disrespect them like that. I'm just That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and and this would not be any fun to own. They barely move. They're not, they're Maybe not, that's why you wanted it because it's, it's a pet, but it's easy it's and it doesn't really, move. It doesn't, but it might kill you. So that's probably why you shouldn't have it. I almost that's why like you should cats. get a cat. That exactly. Yeah, a cat might kill you too. That's no, why I just said they're just gonna eat you if you die. No. Like any pet would. No, they said they, traps. And, you know, and you get toxoplasmosis and they make you crazy and stupid. Yeah, you don't want that. No, no, no. They set traps. They're waiting for you. You, get, you. you walk into the kitchen, you don't know where little Snuggles is, and then all of a sudden Snuggles jumps off the top of the cabinet. Off the top rope. You didn't say what the name of the Gila Monster pet was. I just, I, I don't, it's just not a, not a fun pet. No, thanks. You're better off with a, a nice little dog who can be happy when you're home. And a Gila monster just wants to wait until it can bite you and kill you. Yeah. Well, that was high noon. <laughs> we do it every day around this time. When we come back, we are going to hear the soulful tones of one Kevin Fishbane. We get to talk bears with him. And we get to run the idea of, hey... The Bears aren't going to do something like trade Justin Fields and not draft Caleb Williams, are they? We also want to find out what he thought about the unveiling of the coordinators and their initial impressions. The tap dance routine that Sabian Glover Walton Waldron did. Yeah. He's like, hey, no. I kind of get, I, I get what Softy Mahler was saying about him and his. Oh, like, uh, you know, stop. He's not the head coach. He's the offensive coordinator. He's going to be fine. Don't play those sports radio games, Dan. Because you didn't like the way he breathed? I don't. I just don't like his demeanor. He he, you didn't like the way. This is the same. He's this, weird. This, you see what he's setting up, right? This is the same bleep. This is the same thing. You just wait till he rolls out his acronym for the offense. This is the same is thing. It, would it surprise you? Although He's already setting it up. It wouldn't say no. Actually, I I don't think he's going to be an acronym guy. So then you'll like him more. I will. I, acronym is always a negative. So then it's already a positive because he doesn't have one. Not yet. Not yet, unless it's incredibly elaborate and makes fun of the idea of having an acronym. You know what? Go to break. Let's talk to Fishbane. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.